you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to the Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of 24-7, formerly of Scout, formerly of many a Cleveland sports blog. I want to thank you for making Locked On Indians your first listen every day. It is free and available on all podcasting apps. Uh, you know, get a friend to listen. Let's continue to get those numbers up. It was a rough week last week. Uh, you know, hey, I can't blame anyone other than myself. I am producing the content. So that clearly tells me the content was not everyone's favorite. And or, you know, I know the offseason listens go down. That's just the way of it. That is the nature of the business. But I would like to see that not occur. So let me know. Uh, fan interaction in general has been lower. So yes, I'm always looking for information, feedback, help. Hit me up for questions for a mailbag. I would like to be able to do a weekly mailbag. As of now, uh, I'm just not getting enough of that. That's just the honest goodness truth. What should we talk about today? Well, there's some things. There's some things. One, Keith Law. Let's talk about Keith. Uh, I've told you know I've had my ups and downs with Keith over the years, but I appreciate his work in general. I like that he's not afraid to take a bold take and to go against the grain. He is someone who has never been afraid to make that stand, and I like that. So he had an AFL piece, and it's interesting. I'm not going to sit here and read his stuff on Jose Tenya and Richie Palacios, uh, but... You know, it's very clear that he is much higher on Palacios than Tenya, and that Palacios is a player he feels like should be an auto 40-man ad, and Tenya should not be, which is interesting because you can get down to it. Jose Tenya, the first person to ever make him a top 10 prospect, the first player pers- person I really saw ever really write him up in depth was Keith Law. He was the one out there. Uh, he does say, I'm optimistic about the bat, though given his youth, um, you know, he does. I'm not going to give the whole thing. You know, he's still optimistic about the bat, but he uh, he looked overmatched in AFL, and that helps the Indians. <laughs> That's what they were going for, honestly. You know, the bat speed is there. You can still turn on things, but he just is not ready for the the big stage. And I think they sent him out there to depress his value a little. That that's what I think they were hoping to do, and they accomplished it. Uh, Palacios he just hasn't played much, and. Uh, you know, Keith kind of says that, uh, you know, he just hit everything there. You know, everything in the AFL he hit, he had no problems with it. And I saw other people saying, like, you know, he's he's not going to hit for any power. Uh, just trade him while his value's high. He's probably going to be an outfielder. And if he's a left fielder who can be a plus on base guy, uh, that is a huge net win for a Cleveland Indians team. Uh, average defense and plus on base skills, they have not had... That would be the best left fielder they've had since Michael Brantley. Speaking of potential left fielders, I was also going through Keith's uh, prospect awards list where he talked about his uh, prospect of the year. And one of the runners up in that was, I thought, of all the Indians' prospects, Daniel Espino. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. Again, I'm not going to sit here and read you his article. That is, I never thought that was cool when people did that stuff for... Uh, when I had work that I, I put my time into, but you know he does kind of hit at the f- hint at the fact that he's essentially a two pitch guy, and that third pitch really hasn't come yet. Uh, it's going to be hard for him to do that with the control 
The Indians have also tried to shorten up his arm actions, which are which is making him less effective. So I'm very curious to see what happens. But the bottom line for Espino is your worst case scenario is injury, but your worst case non-injury scenario uh, is you know stuck in the Triple A quad a life because of control and then after that it's a really good reliever like there's not an outcome where if not for injury or control issues this guy is going to be a uh, high value player that player either as a reliever or a starter but also going through this list i thought it was interesting you know i had to laugh because i saw like one of the names was andy pages man how about what a bad non-trade that was for the Angels, where they were going to get uh, Jock Peterson and Andy Pages on a really cheap-to-acquire cost, and you look at the pieces that were supposed to be involved there. And then Artie Moreno got annoyed and called off the deal and wouldn't let it happen. I mean, boy, did he hose his team. Andy Pages would probably be the Angels' top prospect, Uh, and they were going to get him for a song, Man, that's a really, really, really bad look. So that first made me laugh. Uh, you know, MJ Melendez with his the year he had, and some of the bounce back guys in the list. Uh, we had that whole bit recently about Alec Thomas, who was on his honorable mentions. But one of the names that just popped the minute I saw it on the honorable mentions was Nick Plummer. So in fairness, uh, I was extremely, extremely high on Nick Plummer when he was coming out of. Uh, I'm going to get Brothers Rice High School. It's a Detroit area high school. And he just hit in the summer. And he looked good. And then he had kind of a weak fall. And he's in Michigan, so he's not facing the best of competition. Like, you have to be honest about that. Competition is just not as good when you are. There's a reason why, like, the Indians love to draft from Georgia and California. The competition is top-notch. You get a better look at players. And Plummer, instead, I thought he was such an Indians type. I mocked him to the Indians a few times. Goes to the Cardinals, of course, because there's uh, the Cardinals for a long time, have kind of almost out-Indianed the Indians in terms of their drafts. Like, I thought Jordan Walker was the perfect Indians type of guy. That's, that's who the Cardinals took. Talked about Josh uh, Baez in my redraft being that very Indians type. Goes to the Cardinals. Trey Fletcher a few years ago. Uh, but they're just they're having much more success with that. But what makes Plummer so fascinating, and one of those, like, really good sleeper types, players you have to consider, I mean, he was a scrap heap. This is a player who's drafted all the way back in 2015. He's 25 years of age. Uh, He's been Rule 5 eligible for forever and has not been added. And he got hurt, broken ham eight. And then, I mean, this this year he played in 117 games. That's 13 more games than he played in any other year. He lost all of 2016 and all of 2020. Only had one season where he played in more than 100 games. That was 2018. And throughout that, I mean, just a lot of swing and miss. High K percentages not uh, power was always the concern it wouldn't be there and then Plummer worked Uh, this is a guy who had barely played above you know in high a uh they dropped him in double a this year and i mean he tore the cover off the ball between double and triple a slugging percentage 110 points higher than his career best uh his walk percentage was under 30 percent for again a guy getting dropped in double a who had not performed well in the lower minors Uh, he was playing for his life and he really put in the time he went out there always has walked at a good clip but i mean last year for instance when he got up to triple a it's only 102 plate appearances but his k percentage was down to 17.6 for someone who uh 2019 he was 33.4 
and his walk percentage was at 19.6. Now in double A, the K percentage was at 28.7, and the walk was at 14.1, but this is a guy who got better throughout the year. His bat pip in double A was higher than we had seen with him, but it doesn't change the fact that like this guy just decimated baseballs. He had one of the best runs created plus in all of baseball in the higher uh, levels. Trying to see where's Plumber. 16th best runs created plus in all of baseball. One run worse than Drew Ellis, who we talked about on the show. One point, I should say. And while Plumber's doing that with, um, you know, just good on base, good everything, his speed score also some of the highest in that list. Like, let's see, the only players higher than him who had a better, you know, uh, speed score were Alec Thomas, who we talked about his athleticism, Riley Green, and uh, Nick Pratt. Nick Prado is, <laughs> I did not expect a speed score for him to be that high. Uh, but Plummer, again, 25, someone the Cardinals have to add to the Rule 5. But the Cardinals are also a team right now that their outfield, Harrison Bader, I've talked about on the show multiple times, he had a rough year, but he's still a top five defender in center field. They could trade him. He would likely have a market for his defensive ability uh, buying him on the cheap. They could consider trading him and moving Dylan Carlson to center. Carlson had a solid year. Ty O'Neill was phenomenal. And, you know, talking about a guy who's coming off his first gold glove and then also made an all-star team this year, I want to say. And if he didn't, well, he should have. Uh, a great year. So those players, I mean, they're stacked. They don't really have a clear spot for uh, Plummer, especially because, yeah, he can maybe play center field. Maybe he's more of a left fielder. There's some, uh, you know, wiggle in it, as it were. There's, there's not a defined position. There's been some debate about where he's going long-term. Problem for the Cardinals right now, one, Paul DeJong has a terrible contract, and hes uh, they can't even trust him to be a starter. They're kind of stuck with him. Two, uh, Edmund Sosa was who stepped up, and he had a good year, but I don't know anyone who really predicts him to have a 104 runs creative plus again. Uh, he did it in a limited sample. The bat pip. I mean, it was high, but for a guy with his speed, it's not unsustainable. Probably more of a utility type, and this is why I bring this up. Plumber, you know, there's a great, I think David uh, Larelia, I'm probably butchering that, has done a great set of pieces. I talked about his um, one talking about Cedric Mullins, just talking about swings and approaches and really getting into. I had a short, quick swing, but it was short in the zone and it was short out of the zone. My bad angle is too vertical. I was basically swinging like a U. Pitch was coming in flat or with a little bit of a hop, I'd be swinging at it almost like a pendulum. Making that adjustment has been big for me. I've always had loft in my swing, but what creates that elevation isn't necessarily your swing path. A lot of it is where you're making contact with the ball. Like that's what Plummer is talking about when they're talking about things he's done. You know, getting rid of the leg kick he had, just ways he's quieted his swing, and how he's completely turned himself. I mean, there might never be. I can't recall any prospect who's. Like, this was a guy who I thought was done. I don't know anyone who did not think he was done, who has managed to just, through pure work, analysis, and focus, turn himself into a prospect who's probably higher ranked right now than he's been since since the point he was drafted. Uh, it's really interesting to look at. He is undersized. He is 25. Let's see when he turns 26. But I'm talking about Nick Plummer because we've talked about those sleepers. So who are the sleepers out there? Uh, Plummer turned 25 end of July. So you're still getting him for his age 25 slash 26 year. 
Cardinals need middle infielders. The Indians have many middle infielders. What what tr- what could a trade look like? That's really what it comes down to. And then the other question is, I look at this Cardinals team. We know the Indians needs, right? We know they could use another pen arm conceivably. The Cardinals have a, a really good pen, but I don't think they're really going to race to to trade any of those pieces, any of those good players that they have uh, in that pen. So the question becomes, like, let's say you're willing to talk someone like Jimenez. Jimenez for Plummer, it's advantage. Uh, you're, you're overpaying. So it's like trying to find uh, what could work out or something that could make sense uh, Is it in a deal. You know, what could be an interesting kind of buy-low candidate? Griffin Roberts is probably too low of a buy right now, former uh, comp pick had arguably the top slider in his class, but he was the first one that kind of came to mind. I just don't know the Cardinal system well enough to know who that guy is, but I think there is a trade that makes sense. And again, maybe you're sitting out there going, we already have Daniel Johnson. Do we really need someone else's, you know, former high pick? Uh, Plummer did some really impressive things. Uh, I'd be curious to see just, you know, looking at the cost uh, with what he did he, he's a name that even before I saw the, the piece by Keith Law, he was on my list of sleepers. I have all of those tabs still open, you know, uh, staring me in the face of names to know, players to look at, some deep dive candidates. Uh, tomorrow, we'll discuss a, uh, a first baseman from the University of Cincinnati. Uh, how about we go? The first baseman outfielder from the University of Cincinnati. If you know prospects deeply and well, then you certainly know already who I'm talking about. We're going to take a quick commercial break come back and talk about uh, more baseball and that sponsor is rockauto.com rockauto has been with us for a very long time and that's because people keep going to them keep going back and using their service and why do people keep going back and letting rock auto know that locked on sent them it's because you're going to save money you're going to be able to go and find the parts and pieces for your car you can pick the parts and pieces you don't have to go to the mechanic and let them pick the part that is going in your vehicle and I've talked about before, I am not car friendly. I am not car knowledgeable, but you can still do a lot of simple things through YouTube's windshield wipers, air filters. This is the stuff you can do and you'll save yourself a lot of money over the course of your car's life. Just doing those small things yourself. Don't let them charge outrageous costs for overpriced parts and service. Do it yourself at rockauto.com and make sure to let them know we sent you. Some little, how'd you hear about us box, right? Locked on, locked on MLB, locked on Indians. Some form of Locked On is going to let them know we sent you. Remember, that is rockout.com and let them know Locked On sent you. You might have expected me by now to talk about uh, MLB to require teams to provide housing for minor leaguers. I don't have a lot to say other than it's, you know, step one of a good thing. You know, I, I can go back to hearing about like three dudes living in a, a one bedroom apartment. Uh, you know, a guy gets called up. He's living in his car for a few days because he's not sure he's going to stay in AAA or go down. It was a cluster. Uh, at, at the best of times and I've often said it's like just take care of these guys take stress off their plate take a little bit off of what they have to worry about you know you put down a hotel you give them good food it's a minimal cost that could pay off huge for your franchise uh, yeah I, I talk about I tweeted out once about how uh, you know the Royals like went on paper back in 2020 and let it be known they're going to take care of people and how that allowed them then when that draft was only five rounds to clean up and get a lot of big name prospects and the catcher whose name I'm like on right now, who's considered the top undrafted uh, prospect who signed with the Royals like that tweet. 
Why did he like that tweet? Because it's the truth. That's why he signed. He knew who was being, what organization was going to take care of him. And if he was only going to get $20,000, he was going to go to an organization that was going to take care of him. And that says a lot. And it is a competitive advantage to your team to take care of young players and to, you know, take some things off their plate. Uh, this is, again, step one. A few years ago, I believe it was the Phillies who put together a whole thing about um, nutrition and an overall nutrition plan for players and feeding players. And, you know, now housing is one less thing. And honestly, like, housing could have been done quietly years ago. It just would have been smart. Like, if you owned a minor league team, just like, there's so many hotels in most downtown areas near these spots. Or even like your condos. And you could have totally done some kind of like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say shady thing, but it would have been a situation where you could have been like, okay, so you won't pay us now, but you know, you if you get to the big leagues, uh, we get, you know, the amount plus, um, you know, interest or something like that. Essentially, like if you're a player who never makes it, you never pay. They could have figured out a way to make this very profitable for themselves. Uh, instead, they just didn't even think about it. Uh, now, again, that would have been a shady process, and I'm glad they're not doing that. They're just going to give some guys uh, better housing, and it's like it's, it's step one of a many step. Uh, again, just pay them. It, it, the hard part with that is when we start paying minor leaguers a higher wage, something like you know the G League pays in basketball, it's going to increase salaries greatly because it's so many players, and then. It's no longer going to be uh, margins in minor league baseball are not big. No one's getting rich. It's a it's a good investment. You're making money. Don't get me wrong, but you're not getting rich off of owning a minor league team. It's it's almost more about the fun of owning a minor league team uh, than anything else. So I I don't know. I am curious to see, like, if all of a sudden they start pay, paying minor leaguers more. Uh, does that count as part of like the salary for the big league team? Is that going to come out of owners? Is that going to be something that's all of a sudden like the Indians spent? Like, is that part of the hidden calculus of that salary floor that uh, when the major league owners gave that uh, proposal of a salary floor, where I was like shocked that it was going to be like almost at a hundred million, but as part of that calculus paying for minor league players, like, is that where it comes in and just how much that could shift things? Cause again, 150 players, uh, let, let's do some math. Let me pause for a second. Again, a reminder, 150 is like the maximum amount of guys you can have on roster, but there are like players on the injured list. There's players who are not considered stateside or, or in other complexes. But if you had 150 players, you paid them each $50,000. If I did my math correctly, that's 7.5 million additional. And that's not everyone. So let's just say it ends up costing you $9 million to pay everyone 50,000. Uh, if you add that in, that all of a sudden helps you get to that floor. And I feel like that is probably part of the calculus and some of the things we didn't see when that the owners brought up that plan. I see a lot of people assuming the Indians are going to spend. People are jumping out. The one thing I caution is, one, we're not guaranteed a salary floor. That, that was something that was brought up. It's not necessarily something that's going to stay. And B, any salary floor that is brought in, I guarantee you, is a gradual incremental increase. So the first year it's like 60, the next year it's 75, then it's 80. Just like the luxury tax will be gradually brought down. Two reasons for it. One, it allows teams more time to increase their pay and to do it intelligently so they're not just randomly paying guys to get up there, uh, which I don't think they do. It'd probably be just like you know the NHL where the difference is split amongst the players uh, if you don't get there. Uh, but it also, 
this way teams at the top aren't getting super um, amounts of, you know, because the whole thing with the floor was then to make the luxury tax more restrictive. And those teams at the top are already locked into multiple massive contracts, which is kind of be screwed for a few years, if you'll pardon my language there. So I think anything that was introduced would be very gradual. It would be over probably a five-year thing. So the Indians, I, I can't see a salary floor that's like higher than $70 million in start. And I bet, I don't even think it'll be that high. I bet it'd be closer to 60 So they're not going to spend. They're not. Even if they get new money. I mean, when this team was built to have its best opportunities ever, uh, you know, the payroll was what? The one teens. Uh, and since then they've operated uh if you believe them negative expenses even with a new minority owner it's not going to all of a sudden make them flush it's not going to change the situation there could be some increased spending but i i'm really i think people are thinking there's going to be a lot more spending than uh than there will be and yes they're going to make a nice amount of money on the new guardians logo people are going to rush out and buy all that new gear they're betting on a financial windfall and they made the announcement about the you know the end of Wahoo to get a financial windfall from all the people who wanted to get Wahoo before he left and Indians gear before it was gone. Now they've got the windfall from the other side who can't wait to get there. But there's no guarantee that gets invested in the team. Remember, and I will bring this up for the hundredth time, when they uh, the Dolans made their own cable news, uh, or not cable news, just cable network to put the Indians on, uh, and when that folded, that's when the Cleveland fan went away because they uh, were kind of under their umbrella. I remember I had some articles appear over on the uh, the Sports Time site. And the Indians signed a terrible TV deal. They signed a horrible deal uh, that gave them very low TV revenue relative to the rest of uh, baseball. But the Dolans got a huge lump sum payment that always gets left out, something that at this point in time would have been the equivalent of like four or five million extra dollars a year if you just took that lump sum and split it up, uh, that money appears to have gone just to ownership. That money never appeared to get reinvested in the league, in the team, I should say. And as much as you might think, hey, new ownership, a lot of money's coming in. Hey, new uh, gear, a lot of money's coming in. There's no guarantee any of that gets heavily reinvested in the franchise. Minority owner is likely, but then remember the minority owner is also going to, a chunk of that is going to go to pay off former minority owner because they have that money in escrow. And let's say you get a new minority owner and that new minority owner is only like a 20%. Remember, Sherman was probably 30. He was a big amount. So there's a chance you could get a minority owner who's coming in and uh, things stay kind of status quo. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, I do want to hesitate. I think there's a lot of people thinking all of a sudden this team's going to jump to a $100 million payroll or it's going to jump to an 80 or $90 million payroll. I would be surprised by either of those. Uh, I would be surprised if it hit 70. I mean, this they had the lowest payroll in baseball last year, low 40s. Yes, some players are going to get raises through arbitration. Uh, you'll have Roberto Perez. I bet like he ends up coming back for like $4 million. So they'll get like $3 million off the books, but $2 million of that goes to Jose Ramirez. And again, you're going to have several players hitting arbitration for the first time or hitting deeper. Amanda Rosario is going to get a nice bump. Remember, he's going to be a free agent at the same time that uh, that Jose is going to be. So all this is my way of saying, I think at the end of the day, you know, if you're lucky, maybe one free agent. I, I would not expect beyond that. Some lesser trades, um, I think, make a lot of sense. But monetarily, if they have a payroll of $80 million, I'm surprised. I, I'm thinking it will increase, but I'm thinking it's going to be closer to 70. That That is my guess right now. We're going to take another commercial break, come back, and look at some history. <clears throat> and that fantastic sponsor is betonline.ag. 
uh, another longtime sponsor, longtime friend. If you have something you like to do when it comes to gambling, sports, betting, they have it over at betonline.ag. Remember to use the promo code Locked On. That gives you a 50-50% bonus on your first deposit. There are football lines for both college and the NFL. There's UFC fight odds. There's daily specials. There is live betting, casino, race book, poker, trick-or-treat leaderboards. I don't even know what that is, but now I'm curious. Uh, I need to check that out for myself. But yeah, anything you can imagine, anything you can want, they're going to have it over at betonline.ag. Go check it out for yourself. If it is your bag, if it is your thing, why wouldn't you want to sign up with BetOnline? We give you a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Uh, that is, you know, to me, that's unheard of. That That is an amazing amount of money. Trick-or-treat poker leaderboards is what it is. So you can go check that out. Racebooks, eSports, it is all there at betonline.ag. Remember to use that promo code Locked On. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Indians your first listen. And I want to remind you to go check out some of our sister podcasts over here, Lockdown Cavs and Locked On Browns. So I mentioned some history. It's actually some negative history that happened on the uh, the 16th. A, so I know there's actually nothing on the 18th, the 19th, or the 17th. Uh, this is actually kind of a little bit of a dead period in the middle of the month. And in 1957, the Indians dismissed Hank Greenberg, the Hall of Famer from their... Uh, GM position. He stays at the board of directors and tries to move the team, encourages the team to move to Minneapolis before he finally gets bought out in 58. Uh, and then in 64, they had to deliberate for four hours if they're going to stay in Forest City after exploring options to shift to Seattle, Oakland, or Dallas. And instead, they sign a new 10 year lease. So that's right, 1964 and 57, uh, they nearly moved out of town. And <laughs> these were dark times. It's kind of fascinating they were able to keep the Indians. And that was always one of those things I was told as a child that, like, the Jacobs specifically bought the Indians to ensure that they would stay uh, in Cleveland. It, I, That's one of those things we could spend forever diving into just ownership history and, like, how bad things ran. Uh, it's, man, like I said, you can make a legitimate case that the Indians in the 1920s were successful because they had the deep pockets. And remember, Tris Speaker... Uh, and Nap Lajoie had contract disputes, and those are two of the top five like war players in the history of the Cleveland Indians with Philly and Boston. And instead, uh, they, uh, you know, the Indians were where they ended up. And then in the 40s and 50s, they were the first American League team to break the color barrier, and they went, you know, all in on that. They had a Satchel Page, Luke Easter. Uh, multiple, multiple players to make them a better team. And Larry Doby, of course, being the most famous, can't leave him off. But that was, I mean, yeah, they had, you know, fantastic. Bob Veller was a big part of that as well. I mean, just the pitching staff they had was was utterly phenomenal. But they had great pitching uh, into the 50s and the 60s even. Uh, they had some strong staffs in the 70s. But they couldn't put the whole package together, the whole team together, outside of... Uh, yeah, I've talked about it. basically the only time this team was good after the 1920s before the 1990s success was because the uh, color barrier got broken and the Indians were at the forefront. They were willing to go out there and do that. And then they were just a disaster zone of trading away talent, making bad decisions. And, uh, you know, just how much the game has changed where there was a GM who was there for like 20 years. He's in his 70s and he chooses to retire. And by the way, he never had a season over 500. He had like 20 years as the GM. Can you imagine that nowadays? 20 years as the GM. 
you don't have a season over 500 and you're in your 70s and you just say, eh, I've had enough. Luckily, I believe I can blank on the guy's name. That's when Hank Peters came in, who still is the most successful draft running GM of, of any era of Cleveland baseball. But yeah, it was, it was, the Indians have a long, interesting history. Problem is, I mean, really, most of the history has been just junk. You know, this is a team uh, I'm curious to look at right now. So I went through the books, did it by hand, right up until 1994. If you go through that, the Indians had 45 seasons below 500, 46 seasons over 500, two seasons average. Uh, over the whole course of their of the franchise history, they have a 512 winning percentage, and totally the worst run by far is from 77 to 93, where they were under 500 every single year. That's right. I mean, that is just uh, 16 years of pure misery. And then the one time they broke 500 was 76, where they were only 500. Uh, before that, to get them to a point where they're actually over 500 was in 1968 for an entire year. Other than that, they had one season at 500. Uh, that's, that's really bad. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't go well, uh, needless to say, during those runs. But like I said, you talk about those 70s teams, you look at those 60s teams, Louis Tion, Sam McDowell, uh, great players in there, Dennis Eckersley, Gaylord Perry, Burt Bylevin, uh, a lot of interesting top players. Uh, they had some talent. They were just poorly run. And it is a team that, in general, uh, you know, it's this wasn't their most successful year, let's be honest. But they're in a good place. They have all that depth in the minors we've been talking about all year. It's going to be a fun team to watch, follow, and uh, hopefully see win some big games in the not-so-distant future. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been Locked On Indians for this week. Remember to rate and review, download daily. That really helps our show grow. We're now down to fifth baseball podcast in China. Slowly moving down, unfortunately, over there. Not a great week, as I said, in the U.S., so do your part. Make sure you're downloading daily. Rate and review. That so helps the show grow. Uh, And as I am saying now, go, go, Guardians, go.